Well, friends, would you turn with me, please, to the words that we read in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, and reading verses 14 to 17. We read, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. My original intention was that I would preach one single sermon on the authority of Jesus as a healer from Matthew 8 verses 1 to 17. But as I looked at these verses, I saw that it was almost impossible to do so. I've already spent 25 minutes on verses 1 to 4, 25 minutes on verses 5 to 13, and hopefully we'll spend another 25 minutes on verses 14 to 17 today. And by the end of it, you will have had three 25-minute sermons on verses 1 to 17, rather than one 75-minute sermon on these same verses. And I am sure you are sitting here very grateful for that. Though if you want a 75-minute sermon, I am more than happy to start doing that, but, but I think there would be a walkout. So today we're going to look at verses 14 to 17, and we're going to look at it under two headings, the, the personal ministry and then the public ministry. The personal ministry and then the public ministry. First you've got the personal ministry. Look at verses 14 and 15, where Matthew focuses on Jesus' healing of an individual. Jesus' healing of an individual. In verse 14, we see the sick relative. Matthew begins by recording the entrance at the beginning of verse 14. Matthew has already told us that Jesus was in the fishing town of Capernaum, where he had healed the servant of a Roman centurion. And now Matthew tells us that Jesus entered the house of Peter. This man, Peter, also known as Simon, was a fisherman whom Jesus called to follow him back in Matthew chapter 4. He was a local man who lived in Capernaum with his wife, whom Paul mentions in his letter to the Corinthians, and now Jesus enters his home. And Matthew goes on to record the encounter. Look again at verse 14. Upon entering Peter's house, Jesus meets his mother-in-law, who's been living with her daughter and her daughter's husband. This was a very close-knit community where family ties were strong. This woman would have been fairly elderly and she would have been reliant upon Peter and his wife to care for her and to provide for her in her old age. And Jesus sees that she is lying in bed due to sickness. Matthew writes that she was literally thrown down or, or cast down with sickness. Whatever this sickness was, it's resulted in her being confined to her bed. And Matthew adds that she was lying sick with a fever. Now, there's a great danger that we can read this and we simply say, well, she had a raised temperature. But this is more than a raised temperature. She has got a fever. Dr. Luke, the physician-turned-gospel writer, says that it was a great fever. This woman is sick. She is, she is on the brink of death. And now Jesus enters the house in which she's staying and he sees her in this condition. And we move from the sick relative to the sovereign restoration in verse 15. Matthew tells us that upon seeing the sick woman, Jesus 
touched her hand, beginning of verse 15. That's, that's taboo. That's breaking all the social norms and conventions of the day. The laws of Judaism forbade a person from touching another one person who had a fever. It would render the healthy person unclean. The laws of Judaism also forbade a man from touching a woman, even taking her by the hand. Those of you who are women here, I wouldn't have been allowed to shake hands with you in that particular culture. It would have rendered the person, the man, unclean. I hope that doesn't offend anyone here, but that is how it would have been seen in the day. That for a man to touch a woman would have rendered him morally unclean. And now Matthew shows us that Jesus is willing to break that norm, that convention, as he goes into the home of a sick woman and touches this sick woman, takes her by the hand. And Matthew goes on to tell us, verse 15 again, that the fever left her. In verse 3, Matthew presented us with Jesus uh, touching a leper and saying, be clean, and immediately the man was cleansed from his leprosy. But something different is going on here. Here we find Jesus simply touching this sick woman. He doesn't say anything to her, and she's immediately cured. The fever leaves her. Jesus' healing power is communicated to this woman through his simple but sovereign touch. And finally, Matthew tells us that she rose and began to serve him. Verse 15 again, she rises up. The fever had thrown her down. The fever had cast her down, but now, following the healing, sovereign touch of Jesus, she rises up. And after rising, she begins to serve Jesus. Now, at one level, this shows us how complete and comprehensive the cure actually was. This woman doesn't need to lie in bed and rest. This woman doesn't need a long period of convalescence. This woman is able to start serving Jesus immediately. But at another level, this shows her willingness to do something for Jesus. She's not content to receive his cure and do nothing in return. She wants to do something for the one who had rescued her from the brink of death. And so she gets up and she begins to serve him. Now friends, as we consider these verses, I want us to note first the concern of the Saviour. The concern of the Saviour. That's what we see in Matthew's presentation of Jesus. Here we find him entering Peter's house and noting and meeting the need of Peter's sick relative. She might be suffering from a fever, but that doesn't stop Jesus from touching her and restoring her to health. She might be a woman, essentially a second-class citizen of Jesus' day, but, but that doesn't stop Jesus from touching her and restoring her to health. She might be an obscure pensioner. A woman whose name Matthew can't even remember. But again, that doesn't stop Jesus from touching her and restoring her to health. Jesus has a concern for this particular individual. And that is the Jesus whom the gospel presents to us. I wonder, have you ever been in the company of someone and you got the distinct feeling that they really couldn't be bothered with you? You got the feeling they weren't all that interested in you. You got the feeling that they were looking for someone more important to speak to. My parents still remember being at a church event. And it was quite a big church event. And not one minister spoke to them. Not one elder spoke to them. They felt so small. 
so insignificant, so unwanted. It happened 17 years ago and they remember it clear as day today. But you know, Jesus isn't like that. Jesus notices every person, including the weak, the shy, the unimpressive. Jesus is ready to sit down and talk with those whom nobody else bothers with. Jesus is the saviour who has a concern and interest, time, for those whom others might deliberately avoid or unintentionally overlook. And I hope, friends, that that encourages you today. There is no reason for you to hold back from Jesus because he has got no intention of holding back from you. Jesus has a personal interest in people. Jesus comes to you today and he says, let's sit down, let's talk, I've got all the time in the world. Don't you love Jesus? That he has such a concern for people. Maybe you felt today that nobody in this congregation even noticed you as you came in. But Jesus noticed you. Jesus noticed you. But as we consider these verses, I also want us to note the compulsion to serve. That's what we see in Matthew's presentation of Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus has a concern for her. Jesus cures her. And following that sovereign restoration, she responds by serving him. All she wants to do is minister to the one who had rescued her from the very brink of death. And that is how we ought to respond to the rescuing work of Jesus. Every Christian, every Christian in this building has been rescued from the brink of eternal death by this Jesus. By this Saviour who noticed us, noted our condition and reached out and rescued us from the brink of death. And we respond to this by rising up to serve him. We say with Isaac Watts, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Can I ask you today, is your life one of service to Jesus? Honestly, look at yourself today and ask, is your life one of service to Jesus? Is your life encapsulated in the words, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee? Is your life being spent living for and using the opportunities that you have been given to serve the one who sovereignly and graciously reached down and rescued you with grace. And if it's not, will today mark a turning point in your life? Will today be the day when you rise up saying, I will serve my Jesus. I will serve him. And I may not be noticed by the Kirk session. I may not be noticed by the deacon's court. I may not be noticed by anyone in this congregation, but I will serve him. I must serve him because he reached down and rescued me with grace. Do you have a compulsion to serve? But we move from the personal ministry to the public ministry. Look at then at verses 15 to 17. Sorry, 16 and 17. Matthew focuses now on Jesus' healing of large crowds. 
Verse 16, we see the works that Jesus performed. Matthew tells us at the beginning of verse 16 that evening came. Now that's important because Mark tells us in his gospel that it was the Sabbath. And so people weren't free to move around until the evening came, until sunset. And as the sun sets, people start bringing many who were oppressed by demons to Jesus. Now as we go through the Gospels, we see that there were various kinds of demon possession. Sometimes we read about unclean, defiling spirits. At other times we read about evil spirits. And on other occasions we read about mute spirits. There wasn't any one kind of demon possession. There was various kinds. But Matthew keeps things very general here as he tells us that people were bringing to Jesus many who had demons, were oppressed by demons. And Jesus casts out those demons with a simple but sovereign word. Stands in stark contrast to the exorcists of Jesus' day. If you look at the ancient writings of Jesus' day, you have all these elaborate incantations and and rituals and, and, and speeches being given about how to deliver someone from demon possession. You have about stories about exorcists putting a funnel to the noses of people or the mouths of people and, and drawing out the demon, but there's none of that with Jesus. All it takes is a word from him and the evil spirit is gone. But Matthew isn't finished. Because he goes on to highlight in verse 16 that Jesus healed all who were sick. Matthew doesn't tell us who came to Jesus. He doesn't tell us what their maladies were. The only thing that he tells us is that all who came to Jesus were healed. There was no person whom he decided not to engage with. There was no illness that proved to be beyond him. He brought healing to all. And having focused on the works that Jesus performed, Matthew proceeds to focus on the words that Jesus fulfilled. Look at verse 17. As we go through Matthew's Gospel, we see this repeated emphasis on the fulfillment of Scripture. Again and again, we read these words. This was to fulfill what was spoken by dot, dot, dot. And the reason why Matthew does this is because he wants his readers to see that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is key to understanding the Old Testament. He wants us to see that the Old Testament is a window into understanding the person and work of Jesus. You know, I hear some people, no one in this congregation, but I hear some people saying, we just want the New Testament, that nice Jesus in the New Testament. You can't have the New Testament without the Old Testament. And I have other people, and I've heard some people, again, no one in this congregation, but saying that there needs to be more preaching on the Old Testament. You need all the judgment and all the wrath and stop focusing so much on the Gospels. But but you can't have the Old Testament without the New Testament. That's why... And I hope you don't mind me doing it, but why on a Sunday I'll preach in the Old Testament in one service and the New Testament in the other service. Because we want that balance. Jesus is key to understanding the Old Testament and the Old Testament is key to understanding the person and work of Jesus. And now Matthew quotes some words that were spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This comes from the fourth servant song of the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah contains these four songs that speak about the coming of a mysterious figure called the servant of the Lord. This is the Messiah, God's anointed one. 
the one who is going to restore God's sin-damaged creation. And in the fourth and final of these servant songs, Isaiah speaks about the Messiah carrying the sins of his people as he secures their salvation. He's the great sin-bearer, the great sin-offering who dies in their place. And now Matthew quotes from this song, and he says that this song is fulfilled in Jesus. According to Matthew, Jesus is the servant who has come to deal with the sins of his people, but not only with their sins. But as he says here, also their sicknesses. He's come to carry their illnesses and their diseases. He is the servant who has come to bring salvation, restoration, the removal not only of sin. And sometimes we can speak too much about sin, but also the removal of sickness. Every form of suffering. The suffering caused by sin, the suffering caused by sickness. He has come to deal with both. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being given a wonderful reminder about who Jesus is. Matthew's making it very clear that Jesus is the promised Messiah. As Jesus performs these miracles, he's not doing them so that people would be impressed by who he is. He's not come to be a wonder worker. As Jesus performs these miracles, he's doing them to impress upon people the reality of who he is. These miracles are signs, they are pointers, they are proofs that he is the Messiah, he is the anointed one, he is the servant of the Lord, he is the divinely appointed agent of salvation, he is the heaven-sent king, he is the serpent destroyer, the dragon slayer, the Satan conqueror promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and the Garden of Eden. That is who Jesus is. And friends, that is so important for us to remember. In a few chapters, Matthew will record a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus will say to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, after seeing the healing of his mother-in-law, and after seeing all the different healings that Jesus performs, Peter will say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus will reply, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. That is who he is. And today he asks each one of us, he asks you today, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Friends, who do we say that Jesus is? Who do we believe him to be? In Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, Jesus Christ Superstar, Mary Magdalene sings the song, I don't know how to love him. And she sings, he's just a man. Just a man. Is he just a man? Is that all he is? Matthew doesn't allow us to see him this way. Matthew wants us to see him as the Messiah. The Christ the anointed one. Matthew wants us to see him as the fulfillment of every Old Testament prophecy and passage, every psalm, every proverb. Matthew wants us to see him as the long-awaited agent of salvation, the long-promised deliverer, the great bringer of blessing, uniquely related to God and sent by God. Matthew wants us to see that this is who Jesus is. 
And every miraculous healing that Matthew records is further confirmation and proof of this. And so I ask you again, friend, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? But as we consider these verses, we're not simply reminded about who Jesus is. We're also being given a reminder about what he's come to do. Matthew makes it clear that he's come to bring an end to sickness. The prophet Isaiah looks forward to the great inauguration of God's kingdom, the new heaven and new earth, the great day of salvation, the time of restoration where both sin and sickness will finally be removed. And as Jesus heals every kind of sickness that every kind of person is coming to him with, he's giving a small preview, as I said to the children, of that day. He's demonstrating that he is the king who's going to usher in the great day of salvation. That he's going to bring in the day that fulfills Isaiah's prophecy. That is what Jesus has come to do. And friends, that is so important for us to remember. We live, as R.C. Sproul writes, in a broken world. In a fallen world. In a sick world. In a dying world. In a world that's described as a veil of tears. We, we live in a world, friends, where we have young people coming into our church saying that they have been vaccinated because of a sickness that they are very aware of. Does that not strike you as a hard world that they are growing up in? And this, friends, is where the beauty of the gospel shines through. The glory of the gospel shines through because the gospel tells us that Jesus is the promised Messiah who's come to usher in the new heaven and the new earth. He's going to bring about that great restoration where there is going to be no more sickness, no more disease, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more tears. In fact, he's going to wipe away the tears. And until that day comes, we wait for it, we pray for it, with patient anticipation and fervent expectation. Von Roberts tells the following story in his book, True Spirituality. He, he writes, I vividly remember an older saint hobbling slowly into church one Sunday. With a smile, she said, you don't know where I can find some new legs, do you? I replied, yes, I do, but you may have to wait a while. You'll get them when Jesus comes again. Immediately, she exclaimed, that's worth waiting for. Think of it, friends, the day when you and I might get new legs, new hands, a new back, new eyes, new ears all the effects of the sin damaged creation gone bodies fully restored to God's original design friends is this what you're waiting for is this who you're waiting for the Jesus who has come to take our illnesses our diseases and, and bear them far, far away. 
I could have given a message today, maybe some would have preached a message like this that says Jesus is the healer and all you need to do is pray for healing and you'll be restored from health. But I think it gives quite a shallow comfort in some respects. Matthew's saying here, no, don't just look for the temporal healing. Keep your eyes fixed on the one who's come to bring eternal healing in his wings.